0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, entrepreneurship, and talent access to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. I am thrilled to welcome my guest today, Burt Miller. To say he's an industry vet is an understatement. With over 25 years of leadership experience in the world of work, he currently serves as the chairman of Protis Global and Ace Talent Curators and the president and CEO of MRI Network. A network-centric recruitment organization that offers consulting, training, contract staffing, and community building with over three hundred twenty-five search firms worldwide. That is crazy. He's an active speaker, mentor, advisor, and investor, and he also hosts the MRI Network podcast and the new video series Beyond the Bottom Line. Who'd you just have on? The guy from uh, Virgin, Virgin Hotels?
1: Yeah, we just had the CEO of Virgin Hotels, uh, Raul Liao. Yeah, definitely
0: so. check that. Definitely check that out, guys. And I deeply admire and respect Bert and what he's building. He's an expert on so many things that we're going to dig into, including the world of work. So let's do this. Bert Miller, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a hell of
1: an entry. So I appreciate the uh, introduction.
0: I mean, listen, if I learned anything from, from you and Joe, it's if you're going to do something, freaking do it right. Do it proper. Put on a good show, a good production for the people.
1: You're doing that. I mean, look at uh, NHP and what you Look at that studio you build back there. And then you're bouncing into clubhouse and hosting cl- clubhouse uh, rooms.
0: I mean, oh, you're doing it all. I try to be right, like, and, and that's what I learned from you guys. You got, you got to, you got to be everywhere. So let's let's bring my tribe up to speed. And you know, on this show, we'd like to really get into the career, the early career, because that's that's where the lessons learned. And you spoke before about your early time at uh, EJ Gallo, and then onto Revlon. Looking back on it now, from where you are to looking back on it now, what were a couple of those really key early lessons from the early days of your career? That you apply now? Yeah, great question.
1: Well, before my career, I would say my father said something that that stuck with me to this very day, and that is, "Don't touch things twice." So efficiency was learned at a very early age when you're, you know, you know, roofing, uh, taking up uh, shingles uh, up a ladder on a roof. Don't don't touch them twice because it ends up being a long day. <laughs> uh, yeah, but professionally, man, I, I think uh, what I got out of my my time was. And, you know, I've, I've written some of my posts on this, Adam. You know, one of my one of my uh, mentors at Revlon asked me once, hey, man, let me uh, kind of see your schedule for the next month. What are you doing? Where are you going? I show him my schedule and he's going interesting. He's going, why are you going here? Why are you going there? Well, those folks need a lot of help. They, You know, my they're not my best performers. And so the biggest lesson I got there was you know, you're trying to use the word tribe earlier, it is uh, spend time developing your great people, because if you don't continue to work with your great people, they're always watching you. And those are the ones that end up leaving. So I learned that you can't, you know, you, 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 how to prioritize your time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to people. And as you know, I'm building a company here at NHP. I really don't talk about it a lot. And I really should spend some more time talking about I'm building a recruiting business. And essentially, it's an RPO. And I'm learning that the, the value of good people, especially in the world of recruitment and how to retain them and how to treat them. And it's funny, I look back, Bert, and I'm like, wow, all those lessons I've learned from the good, the bad and the ugly, as far as leaders that I've worked for, and and I want to be the best and, and those lessons. It's, it's incredible. Um, but let's rewind. So after you left the Revlon, you started, uh, you know, Protus Global, which has been up for 25 years now. How, how, did, how did that come about? How did you make that transition from the world of, you know, Revlon and EJ Gallo into the world of recruiting?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting story, Adam. I mean, when I uh, resigned to the president of Revlon on the 49th floor in New York City of our building, uh, I just remember getting on that plane September 19th, 1995 and flying back to Indianapolis uh, where Protus was originally headquartered. And uh, prior to that, Adam, what I did was I took uh, cash advances on, I applied for credit cards, took cash advances on credit cards. And started Protus Global uh, from scratch and learned the, the world of work and, and what back then was called headhunting and recruitment, as you know. And we launched Protus Global uh, from a dead start and, you know, under the MRI network umbrella, actually, as a, as a franchise or and, and we were a member of the MRI network. And uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. I think I quit twice that first year. But I made that transition it's been really it's a low it's the road less traveled and that's made all the difference
0: i think that's why uh, i'm so drawn to you and joe because our stories i mean i mean i'm doing the same thing it's crazy and and i and i am f- thankful that i have you guys to look look at as mentors and say these guys have they were you guys were exactly where i was 25 years ago and i look at it and that's why it was important for me when i came down to bring my wife and daughter to say hey look these guys did the same thing and, and she knew it right away and, and, and it was inspiring and i love it so today you wear a lot of hats Bert. um could you briefly break down to the listeners well first i have a question where did any Prodis global come from because when i was naming my company i had a hard time and when i my wife said to me she goes stop overthinking it she goes, stop overthinking it and what is the most important thing to you and i say it all the time it's my daughter's initials nhp nina harrison poser and i named it where did produce come from
1: yeah we, we actually hired a firm 21 22 years ago and uh, protus originates uh, Greek word protos. Uh, protos was difficult to say. Protos Global, Protos Executive Innovations. Back in the day,
0: sounds like a medicine, uh, like a yeah, it does, it, it does. Pharmacology product.
1: Yeah, so we uh, we just kind of derived at a word that's uh, from that Greek word protos, and and came up with protis. It was easier; to, it just rolled off the tongue better. No, it sounds you know you want to you want to have a really great story. It's no it's no more complicated than that.
0: Yeah, and and I love it. And you know, if you if you look at the the website, you see a lot of different things. Can you break down for everybody exactly you know the balance Protus Ace Talent Curators MRI Network. What's what's like the relationship, the dynamic, the give and take between all of them?
1: Yeah, well, Adam, you've been here, so you you've been to the buildings that we are here that we sit here at, at Delray Beach. We have a family of businesses yeah uh, right here on this uh, this particular office park and. And so it, it allows me to bounce from one to one, from one office to the other office, and spend time. And it's it's important to do that. Uh, in many ways, they they have some lineage tied to them besides me, and that is people um, that sometimes cross over into other parts of the of uh, the other companies. And I think it's real important that we've really built this with uh, an ecosystem in mind. So the ecosystem in mind is. How do we create a system uh, of a supply chain and talent access space in the world of work? And and that's the whole origination of pulling these all together and the opportunity to do that. And And part of that is you have to communicate. And communication is the most critical component of anything you
0: do. It, it, it's the it's the synergies that you're able to pull from one another. And is there a lot of crossover um, with folks that work across these different organizations? Are you able to find like the best skills, the best talents for each particular need, different projects, different workflows? What do you kind well, of keep we, a church in state?
1: Yeah, man. We no, 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 no church, no no church and state here. We <laughs> no. we all work together. So Emily Fair, we just hired our new VP of sales uh, for MRI Network, and so she was originally a protus candidate and the more I got to know her and the more I understood what she wanted in her personal scorecard and was going to be great for her career. It just made a lot of sense that she become part of working with us here at MRI network, uh, versus, you know, Protus global at that time. I mean, Protus, you know, I would love to have had our produce, but I think we would have sold her short if we'd done that.
0: Let's give everyone a little history lesson here. Um, I, I preach the value of long-term relationships and that's really, what this business is about here um going back 25 years when you jumped in the people game what what have you seen as the big change where like where where's the move to i mean aside from the tech right we've spoke about it for years you know we've gone from the fax machines to the snail mail i think joe mullings actually wrote a dinosaur like in the flintstones to deliver resumes 30 years ago um, but it always comes down to relationships but what what have you seen at a high level what do you think has changed in the last 25 years across talent access
1: yeah, well, I mean, look today, we, we, we have f- the multi-generational professionals that are in and working in our organizations today, there's five of them, right? I mean we have Z, we have millennials, we have Xers, we have boomers, et cetera. And so you have you have all these generations working together and needing to embrace one another. and certainly you have some challenges with that you know, when when I started post global 20, almost 27 years ago, actually, and um, we when we did that, Adam, it was the same group of people I was, you know, 32 33 years old, I hired people like me, we we're all the same generation it was easy to kind of to move forward. And then as we've progressed, and yes, media and technologies played a role of communication and connectivity, where we we see depth of other things and we see things that may not always be what they appear to be because of what how it's been represented and i think we are overloaded with an incredible amount of information but what's not changed you know some things just stay the same and that is networking to your point the long-term relationship um is truly you know you've seen the t-shirt you know your your network is your net worth that is so true and um, and building those authentic, real relationships um, tend to you know, play out over the course of 10, 15, 20 years.
0: And, and, and those are, those are the, those are, that's why people, companies have loyalty. And I, I look now and everyone is so transactional. I'm not even talking about the millennials and the Z's. I mean, I see even boomers, everyone wants something quick. They want like instant satisfaction, instant gratification, instant results. And that's not how recruiting works. That's not how long-term growth works. It's about establishing real relationships with clients, providing value, and being invaluable.
1: I mean, think, people think in finite terms so often, right? They see the six inches in front of their nose. And, and really, for those who understand the long game or the infinite game, um, and the, the way that you're able to See that and have a lens toward that. Adam is that you're doing something you're passionate about. It's life. It's not work life. It's just life and what you do. And when you approach it that way, there's there's uh, energy. There's passion. There uh, there's caring for what you're doing. There's working on yourself. There's purpose behind it. And when you have that, uh, you're able then to um, see a, a longer game versus trying to get something you know today.
0: Speaking of the long game, let's talk a little about. 2019, you acquired the MRI network, unpack that decision, unpack that thought process. Speaking of the long game.
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a heck of a story. Uh, and I don't know if it, we have enough time for it. Uh, 2019, it yeah. 2019, we had an opportunity, you know, we, uh, we were part of the MRI network. Uh, candidly, we, MRI network was, uh, had been, uh, it, it lost its rudder didn't really know where it was headed it happens uh, long, yeah
0: long, i'm long time in the water
1: yeah and it, it kept kind of going in circles and then it would turn the other way somehow with the uh the, the shift of the current and it would turn and turn circles that way too and and so we saw that happening and we saw what was what was a a iconic business that was co-founded by an iconic gentleman alan Sch- r schoenberg and that iconic business was dwindling away and, and 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 really um needed some support and i saw it as an opportunity to capture a brand that's trained you know 27,000 recruiters and you know made over 800 placements over 17 billion dollars in fees just on the incredible. direct side yeah it's incredible on the direct side not to mention the train the, the the training programs that uh, that were built back in the day. And and, and they and MRI was the in, was the innovator uh, in this industry for a long time, including paid fees. And there could be arguments about who started client paid fees. Um, but MRI was certainly an early adopter, if not the founder of that. And there was not the opportunity to um, acquire 300 plus offices on five continents around the world that give us an install base and an opportunity to lead and really, in an archaic industry, Adam, which you're familiar with very much, and you, you know, you, you spoke to many of us. It gave us a chance to really transform—not just MRI or a protoscope or whomever. It gave us an opportunity to transform an entire industry. Did
0: you have any hesitations, or was this a a clear no-brainer? Opportunities there. I have the vision. Your team has a vision. We're going to take this boat we're going to take the take the controls and we're going to go with it were there any hesitations Bert
1: yeah the biggest hesitation was my wife right I mean her and I sat down and talked about it and, we, and you know we had to have the conversation about what it would actually take and the level of commitment that it takes and the, the, the pace and the work rate that we are running at this is obviously we, we were having that conversation before the pandemic and so uh, we we came to the conclusion and we agreed that uh, this was a great opportunity to uh, do something a little different. She recognized that I kind of had hit my head where I was, and I look, man, I'm almost sixty years old. I and I'm I'm looking to continue to learn. I'm always learning. I'm always working on myself, and I and I had become stagnant. I probably was not as great a leader as I needed to be at that point in time because I wasn't growing as a leader, and I had to work on that. And this was an opportunity to really sharpen my skills and do something a little bit bigger in this industry
0: and and everything time and place and everything everything kind of fell do you ever think you ever think like if you weren't in the recruitment business what you'd be doing I never really asked that question but I feel like you're the guy to ask it to man you will Burt Miller be doing 2021 (laughs) almost 60 years old what would Burt be doing
1: I I would look I, I gotta tell you you know when I was in my backyard I wasn't playing on the swing set, playing, you know, and going, "Hey, someday I want to grow up to be a recruiter." I can tell you that. Not
0: many not many people do, right? <laughs>
1: Those people I, fall into it, man. I, I would have loved to have been an NFL football coach. I mean, that would been the, that would have been like the ultimate
0: uh the ultimate win for me. You're a Colts fan? I am a Colts fan. I mean, yeah. it's an important question to ask cuz there are some people who live in an area that aren't, you know, and that's always an interesting um, story there. So I, w- I want to shift and th- this is something that hits home to me. I I pride myself. And I think the reason um, I do well and my team does well is because I grew up in the world of account management and advertising, and I understand how to manage expectations. I understand how to treat clients because that's the difference, right? The the technical side of recruiting, a lot of recruiters could do. It's not that hard, square peg, square square hole, but it's really about the nuances and how you treat those client relationships. And in an article you wrote on the white glove hiring experience, one of the suggestions uh, you made was, quote, once you know someone is a wrong fit them fit let them know asap with honesty. Let's let's unpack that and and talk about how in recruiting how important that is and the value to the candidate and the client because I think a lot of recruiters they're just all metrics driven get that fee get that placement get it in there but if that candidate's out less than 89 days into a 90 day guarantee it's going to destroy that relationship it's going to destroy the relationship with your your client and it's gonna create more work for everybody. Let's unpack what that really means and the whole idea of just being a, a, a partner instead of a vendor. Yeah, well,
1: again, that's the finite game and finite thought process, right, Adam? I mean, you think about, uh, and you said it, uh, I see a fee on a candidate's head and I see an opportunity to transact that and collect a $30,000 fee and, and go on to next. and. Couple things. That's A, it's not way it's not the way to build a business. And two, it's not a candidate, it's an individual. That individual, you want to ensure that you're doing the right thing to align their career. You know, we have we believe in building companies and, and changing lives or building companies and building careers, uh, depending on whatever tagline you want to use. And and that tagline words matter here with us, and I think you know enough of us now that's very important. And so that tagline is not by accident. And those individuals, Adam, uh, it's very important. So recruiters out there, think about it. If, if we go out and do a survey to hiring managers around the country, what do most of them say? Recruiter, recruiter doesn't listen. They don't call me back. They send me what I don't want to send. Right. If you talk to the individuals out there in the marketplace, yes, I talked to a recruiter. They didn't call me back. And I think the best thing we can always do to an individual is if they are not the right fit, you have, an, you have opportunities to a communicate that B as a consultant advisor to teach them and educate and counsel them and move them into a, uh, either another role or down a path where they can work on themselves mm-hmm. and upskill themselves to be prepared for their next opportunity.
0: And, and, and that's really what it's all about. And I think, you know, especially early, early newer recruiters, um, it's hard to not chase that feed, not chase that metric, chase that placement. But there's such a power the first time you do that and you actually are listening to the candidate and you say, Bert, I'm going to pause you right here in this process. I know you're excited about it, but the more I think about it and hopefully the way you think about it, this just isn't right. I know you're not happy in your job. Uh, and all those reasons. And one of the earliest lessons I learned from from my mentor Tom Hull my, on first day of recruiting, in addition to plan your work and work your plan, he really taught me, Bert, how to understand a candidate's motivation. Right? Think about the motivation. Understand why a candidate's not happy, or if they are happy, what are they looking for in the next challenge? How do you? How do you, do you do? You still mentor young young recruiters out there? Like, what are some of those key pieces of advice to those young recruiters to teach them all these lessons that we're talking about to ensure that they're building a solid reputation and foundation for their future in this industry?
1: Yeah, well, from the individual perspective, if, as a recruiter, what you need to understand from the individual are they running away from something or running to something, and and then understand the why and really understand their why and and counsel them along the way, and young recruiters, they get into business. You know, we've all been there. We were, we were all bad at this at one point. Right.
0: <laughs> so I was good in the beginning and then I got bad and then I got better again. Cause I, yeah. I took my foot off the gas. I thought I knew what I was doing eight months in and then I'm like, Oh, Nope. nope. Yeah, man. I,
1: I, sucked when I started, it took me forever <laughs> to make my first placement. And so, but here's why you're, you you you're actually asking the right question around that young recruiters you come in, you find your space. Um, some people will call it dig discipline industry geography your sector that you're going to work in and you become a subject matter expert uh in your space and as a new person you have your own network right so then you have a friend that's over here uh not in your space and it's a shiny object so you chase that shiny object (laughs) yeah and then you have somebody else over here and you chase that one and you're not you're not investing in building your individual or candidate bank some would call it in building that reputation because what's really interesting about our business is if you're doing it the right way you're making progress when you don't know it and it's a blind faith so it's like what you're doing right now you're you're building a following every single day adam and people are and you may not even know and there'll be there's people watching you today that may may never go on and respond and engage you on in, in your uh your podcast or your brand at this point in time but eventually they will and they're going to continue to follow you and grow and grow and that's happening through blind faith you're building
0: that i, I always say it's the the micro actions lead to macro steps and Perfect. i think and i think that's really what people need to understand that there's no shortcuts you have to put in the work and it goes back to what we we're talking about before it's, it's instant gratification they want instant gratification but they don't they, they they only see us sitting here right now they see my nice fancy set they see the big b over there like this is work this is lots of work to get to this point you don't it doesn't just happen um overnight let let's let's shift gears a little bit we are uh approaching june 2021 this this episode will air a few weeks after that we're coming out of this thing we're we're coming into a whole new world of what the hell work is going to look like, what the hell the office is going to look like. And I posted about this the other day. There's some people that are very polarizing and going to one side or the other saying, everyone needs to work from home remote forever. And then there's other people that say, you know, the future, the future is, is back in the office and it's confusing. And there's a lot of nuances, a lot of factors. I think, you know, for the sake of this conversation, a lot of people are kind of lumping in these white collar computer facing jobs, but there's a whole world out there. I'd love to get your perspective on how leaders Need to define the return to work roadmap.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think what we have right now, Adam, is the best way to possibly do that. And in, in all leaders that are out there, I w- I would strongly encourage you to consider this. And that is, not strongly take a position one way or the other. You know, you you know, you may lean uh, toward one side or the other, what you prefer. But I would not strongly take a position. And you're already seeing all the op-eds and the media talking about productivity and product it's, we're, we're, I don't think have, yeah yeah i don't think we have enough data uh, i don't know if we truly Small have a sample enough, set yeah it's 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 not enough out there and when you think about uh geography and the competition amongst geography for those who want to work remote you now are competing with everyone you know so you're not competing with just delray beach if you want to be Uh, you, you want to work at MRI network in Delray beach. You're not just competing at Delray beach. You now are competing with people in Atlanta and Charlotte and Chicago and LA. And it doesn't matter where you are. You think about the compensation model. And if you live in an expensive, uh, uh, high cost living city, and I can hire a great talent in Indianapolis, uh, at a much less compensation, I can hire the same talent in New York city. And so
0: go ahead. Yeah, but pa- let's but pause in that for a second. I mean to cut you off there, but here's here's an important thing. What are your, what are your thoughts on pay equity? Should a company should it be okay to pay someone more because of where they live, or less because of where they live? If I'm in the middle of the country, why the hell should you pay me the same as New York?
1: No, it's it's a great question. I just think that uh, you know if you're making. You're making a, a certain amount at a role in Indianapolis and you're in New York is, you know, New York may be over-indexed, Indianapolis may be under-indexed. At some point in time, you want to find what is the fair market value for what you do. I think that's right. the most important thing, Adam, is
0: find the right value for the role. Right. And then, I mean, all the other complications that no one's really talking about, health insurance, taxes, how that's affecting the back of house. I mean, that's a big thing that MRI offers. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. Right, if someone who lived in New York, all of a sudden now you're living in in just say Texas, a no that income tax. Like, how? Did, it's a lot of factors here. There's a lot of things too. But I want to go back to another word. Let's talk about productivity. What do, what are you see, seeing out there internally, and what are you hearing from your clients as far as their teams that are working uh, remotely? Are they seeing an increase in productivity? I mean, is it a blanket statement, yes or no, or is it really? Hey, some people are doing great working from home. They have great setups. They're productive. They don't have kids in their face. And other people, it's a real challenge. For logistics, for home, some people are living with their villains. Um, some people may ha- not have good Wi-Fi or a place to work.
1: Yeah, well, that's that is that's the age-old question for what we're co- doing coming out of this thing is where do you take it, right? So you you may have if you're in New York, you may have a very very small apartment with everybody running around. You know, how do you how are you going to be totally productive in that environment versus somebody in another part of the country? They may have more room. But what I'm hearing, look, I, I don't think you put a blanket over anything at this moment in time, Adam, I, I think what you're looking at is, again, stepping back and capturing more and more data. Um, you know, when you when you when you look at what has been reasonably effective is the mundane activities are pretty productive. When you're looking at highly collaborative strategic, not that it couldn't happen. But when you're looking at highly collaborative and strategic Work uh, where people need to uh, bounce things from one another. It certainly is much easier and more efficient. Not that it can't be done remotely, but it's much more efficient to be in the room with somebody. And if I were to make a prediction, again, I, I I'm not going to give you.
0: Bert Shadamas over there.
1: Yeah, man. Exactly, man. If I make a prediction, I think, and I, and again, this is not just mine. I think it's going to land up in a four-one-three-two ratio. Um, it, I think we're going to move a little bit toward that way.
0: I talked about this with Joe when I was down there in February. I I see the great talent migration happening. People are during the pandemic they have experimented with side hustles, passion projects, leaving jobs. I mean, we see in the recruitment industry there's a shortage of good recruiters out there. I have that problem. Um, the return to work, there's some companies that are saying, hey. We're opening back up. We would like everybody back there. And some people like, nope, I ain't doing that. And they're leaving. And then it's on the flip side. And I don't think it's being talked about a lot that there are people who want to go back to the office and their companies are now fully remote. And they're like, shit, I've been waiting to get out of my house for 18 months and now I can't go back to the office. There's a great migration. What are you seeing across the industry?
1: Yeah, that's where companies and people have made decisions too quickly. Uh, I think that, again, you're, you're you're not capturing the data. You're spinning two times, which is ironic, right? Um, tech companies are uh, not capturing the data. But anyhow, when you think about that, Adam, is i when I think about it anyhow, I, I look at it from the perspective of uh, learning the individual. Uh, I would say let them know what your intentions are, uh, have a why behind it, and work with them to get back to what the objective ultimately is mutually. Uh, you're looking at people that are sitting at home. Their their homes have been the playground, you know, recess. It's been a cafe. It's been a restaurant. It's been it's been a laundromat. Yeah, it's been everything uh, to them. And they're they're just they're chomping at the bit to get out and get back to the office. And I think we got to get some normalcy, uh, whatever that new normalcy is going to be, but some normalcy back in back in play.
0: Yeah, it's going to it's going to play out, but it comes down to leadership. And I want to talk about leadership and I want to talk about your approach to to selecting leaders. You've been around long enough where you see traits you could read between the lines. Love to hear your thoughts on leadership and selecting.
1: Yeah, well, you've probably heard this already. I mean, we we think alike here at MRI Network uh, of what we do. And, and I think uh, Joe's a big piece of this as well, and that is. Uh, it's very similar to what I've done at Protus Global over the years, even back in the days of Revlon. People that are conscientious, I look. I look at attributes and characteristics more than just always the skill set and experiences. I, I mean, I believe in the best athlete versus you know fill, versus drafting for a position, uh, unless you you know unless you can get a uh, you know the franchise quarterback. Outside of that, it's just always best athlete. And so conscientiousness, conscientiousness with somebody that's detailed and responsible. You certainly want people, Adam, that are, you know, they're intelligent. And of course, you want all the other attributes that you know that come across that every company wants. Those those two though tend to stand out for us. Then you want to align those with the personal scorecard. And you know, part of that is asking people the question: what's what's important to you personally, professionally, and financially and that isn't that's an not just not what you want but what your goals are and i, I say that because when i ask if i'd ask a hundred people what they want i say Do you want a $1 million dollars a hundred people more than likely would say yes okay here's the process to earn a million dollars now you only have two or three people standing and when you're going through an interview process like that with an individual uh it's it's pretty incredible when you're talking to them the Comments they make and the red flags they bring up and the places that you can go and the capillaries off the aorta that you can you can uh, go down those paths.
0: Red flags, yeah. Red red flags are interesting and and there's red flags, there's pink flags and it's interesting when I whenever I talk to clients and we're taking an intake meeting, I try to unpack from that perspective too. You know, from a from a a character team kind of vibe right like what works on this team uh what doesn't you mentioned something uh in our pre-show around around future skills and i think future skills apply to everyone within an organization leadership all the way down what are what are some of these future skills um that we found during this pandemic that are critical and what are some future skills that have been kind of in the works for a long time that are really rising to the surface
1: yeah, well, obviously the
0: digital trans
1: transition for many companies has had a, a major effect. There's a large uh, adult beverage company, a spirits company that was already on a, on a digital journey that was going to be a three-year map. And what ultimately happened, uh, the pandemic hit and they accelerated that. And so we've seen a lot of things accelerate right. due to the pandemic. And you're watching roles change before our very eyes where this company had to pivot people from Say off premise, many of those folks had the ability to go into ecom, um, uh, in, into ecom strategies and ecom parts of the business, and being able to to move toward um, ordering a bourbon that you can have dro- dropped at your front door, which right. many people didn't know that. Like a
0: field sales rep had to now figure yeah. out how to do
1: everything online. Exactly. So, you know, I I did a post the other day. People really need to consider what the upskilling. Uh, components are for themselves. Where is their role going? Are they looking at their companies? Are they, are they reading the headlines? Are they reading articles about the, where their industry is going? And are they able to unwind that to a point of understanding where they literally need to work on their skills? Because we will automation, robotics. Um, we will lose a lot of roles. We, you know, it's estimated we'll lose around eighty-five million roles. And it's also estimated, though, that's going to create 90 97 million opportunities. So there's a plus 12 million. It's just different opportunities. And there's 97 million um, that people need to be prepared to fill. And, and right now, what, we have 9 million people out of work. We have 7.5 million open jobs. And I have friends go, well, why don't? those nine and a half million go work for those seven open jobs because they're not qualified
0: it's not the way it works people yeah. and, and i say that too when people break down the the unemployment numbers i go you have to really dissect it and look at it by sector in yeah. my world in the digital marketing world e-commerce subscription-based marketing performance marketing media has accelerated incredibly because everything has shifted online the demand for performance media roles is off the charts i can't find anybody to fill some of these roles Something I want to double back to, um, you know, talking about the pandemic, how it really has affected working mothers, working parents, because I think that it's not being spoken about enough. And, and I'm talking about it specifically on the part of the performance, job performance. The, they have to wear the hat of the teacher. They're taking care of the kids in the house. They're trying to hold their job down. They're managing their own job performance and making sure that somebody who doesn't have these obligations is not sneaking up behind them and and, and kicking them out of the way. What are you seeing out there? What are your thoughts on, uh, on, on professional women in the workplace?
1: Yeah, um, man, I got to tell you, uh, you know, in February of 2020, uh, women professionals had come along and progressed in the world of work probably further than ever in the history of the world of work, right? And then, you know, March hit. And to your point, um, there's been a, you know nurturing, taking care of kids, and things have been impacted. And and statistically, it's it's out there. You can read it, and the numbers may vary from person to person or article to article. But you know, just under two and a half times million of the people of women lost their roles either through you know voluntary, involuntary, furlough, whatever the case may have been, right. taking care of their families than men did. And I literally think Adam, if we're not careful for or don't address it. We, uh, The woman professional has really lost a generation almost in time. And so what an opportunity for those who can see, see that to appeal to the professional woman who's looking to get back into the workforce, or maybe they learned something from their company if they did not lose their, their role, and they learned something about what life is and the kind of role that they really want and purpose. What about the company's around their hiring brand, really appealing to these really talented women professionals and helping bring them back.
0: Yeah. And I mean, on the flip side too, we, I mean, we see Whitney Wolf over at Bumble. We see, uh, I, I forget her name, the, the CEO over at Vimeo taking these companies public and they're a shining example as well of, of what could be done. It, it, it's fascinating here. So let, let's shift gears. Let's, let's uh, kind of take it into the, the final stretch, the final laps. I don't even know what they. I'm not an auto racing guy. Uh, that's not the victory lap yet, but we're in the we're in the final stretch here. Um, anybody who follows Bert, he's got a pretty good Instagram and living. I, I like the balcony. I can't wait to come down and, and and have a cocktail out on your balcony. But you're an active guy, right? You're constantly exercising, running and football and baseball. What's what's the greatest benefit to having, you know, an athlete's mindset in this line of work that we do?
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, I think anybody who had a passion for what allowed them to go down a path, um, whether it be athletics, band, whatever the case may be, is important. But I can only speak for myself on that. And the when I grew up, Adam, you know, I was the first one to go to school and university from from my family on either side, and I had that opportunity. And and as as a young person, you know, you're always trying to find who you are and, and find that confidence and. sports gave that to me and you learn you learn in athletics to um your teammates you have different socioeconomic backgrounds different races uh different cultures the way you the way you, you operate you learn to get along you learn to you learn to grab a the oar, if you will and row in the same direction from many many different backgrounds you learn to uh, fail, not surrender, but you learn to fail and you learn to how to win together and how to go after a common purpose, as I mentioned, and that allows for people to um, take those pieces and embed those into their DNA. I mean, almost, I mean, or certainly add to your DNA at, at a conscious level. And so when life happens and work happens, Adam, you know, you have data points, you have these pieces that you can, you can go back to that allows you to continue to push. And, you know, I, I've been doing, I've been in the world of work now for almost 28 years, no, 38 years. I'm trying to take 10 years almost, off. It's almost year.
0: time for your gold Rolex. Yeah, exactly. So it's,
1: it's a while. I mean, I'm giving my age away big time. And Anyhow, that, over that 38 years, Adam, it hasn't always been great. I mean, it's, there's been times of uh, uncertainty and, and I think you always can go back to your, the points that you build a foundation around to um tap into when it's necessary and i think it's incredibly important
0: i love it tremendous but what is what is what does the word authentic mean to you that's something that you know really resonates with you and joe and everything you guys have built down there what does that word authentic really mean how do you define it
1: yeah it well uh yeah it's now becoming the one of the word you know it's, it's overused
0: buzz de jour
1: yeah it is um i think uh, I think it's incredibly important that you ensure that people believe and know that they uh, that you care, that they're safe, um, that you take time to over communicate, um, and that you have a vision in mind that you're able to articulate, and it's purposeful, and you're willing to, and, and you're able to help them come along for that ride and show them the path so they. They get excited about it. It's kind of funny. I, I literally had somebody say to me uh, at MRI Network, and and so uh, that I was disingenuous. And I'm going, wow, disingenuous. Tell me about that. And they're going, well, when I bought MRI Network, I was in Philadelphia, and nobody Good. talked. You know, keep in mind they went through twelve presidents in sixteen years to figure that thing out. Right. And, and so I go in there, Adam, and everybody's heads are down and nobody's talking. it's, it's like a morgue. And every morning, I would go in and say hi to people, one by one, by one, by one, talk to them. And it got around that I was disingenuous because I just kind of like, you know, fake talking to people. And then finally, it became real because they finally go, uh, this cat can't keep doing that every single day over this um, this period of time.
0: Not sustainable.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, it's not sustainable. And, it, you know, it, it came up this conversation. We had the conversation the other day. And I said, it's, I've always done that. That's who I am. Uh, and that's the way I operate. And I think that's authentic because it's real and auth- authenticity is who you are. Are you consistent? Are you the same person day in day out, good or bad for a sustained period of time? And when things are bad, you are, you're able to dial it back and remain calm. And when things are great, they know the expectations are
0: coming. you're going to push them and nudge them a little bit. So be consistent. Good, great, great, great answer there. What I mean you kinda of alluded to it earlier with your dad, but I'm curious, but What what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day?
1: Uh man, good, great question. I, I honestly to, to take the road less traveled. I I think I think we um <laughs> we're programmed to be sheep, man. I mean we do a star. We're programmed to be sheep. Follow the herd. Uh, yeah. And, and so uh, we all move in the same direction. We decide what is right. We decide what is wrong. And, you know, we decide what's politically correct and what's not politically correct. And and I just, uh, when that happens, I use an approach of just stepping back and, and saying, why do I have to go to school? Why do I have to get this job? And why do I need to do that for 40 years and collect that gold watch? Why do I need to do that? Because everybody else does that. And the white picket fence, I, I think for those that can step back and look at something and go and ask themselves the why that even exists and say is there another way is there another alternative and you know that's why there's tesla and many other companies in the world and that's why there's certain people that that lead that you go wow that person didn't come from harvard that person doesn't have that education that person doesn't know it's because they look at a they've taken the road left traveled.
0: yeah and it takes a certain type of person to do that and and i I, I really count my lucky stars that I have folks like you around me to to see that to see what's possible to say nope you know nope, take make it, when they zig you zag the last you know 17, 18 months has been insane for everybody I'd love if you could share Bert a a personal silver lining and a professional silver lining tell us a little bit about the good that has come out of this bad
1: yeah I, I got to tell you there's a lot more good than than there has bad yeah. I th- I think we the headlines certainly. We have to be sensitive to what occurred and we have to be sensitive to life and, lot course, of and of all course. those things. However, uh, you know, uh, we as people, we as humans are strong. I mean, we really are. Our, our bodies do amazing things and our minds do amazing things also. So personally for me, um, I, I've become a really a, a stronger person in terms of making sure I'm communicating with my family. Uh, I've had a chance, to, I've had an opportunity to spend some time with them on uh, uh, little vacations and hiatuses a little bit during, during the holidays and, that, and really relish that time together and do what we do. So that on the personal front uh, is very important to me. On the, professional, on the professional line, Adam, the pandemic gave MRI, I described MRI earlier in the show, and the pandemic gave MRI why everybody was thinking about what to do next. And did not know what to do next, and some people even pulling back, and, con- and you saw a lot of contraction in the marketplace. It gave us an opportunity, uh, Adam, and you know you've you've spoken to Joe, and, and and you've seen what we've done at MRI when you were down here. It gave us an opportunity to invest. We kept hiring, we kept investing in our network. We kept in, uh, investing in our managing partners, the owners of uh, our offices throughout the world. We communicated with them. We created uh, digital shows where we could talk to them and get to them and, and try to create an environment. Where we can, we're big on community where we can bring the community together as best you can. And I think the pandemic gave us a chance <clears throat> to gain ground. And I, I gain ground on others that may not uh, have taken that what I would call a more assertive and bold approach.
0: And that's leadership. Yeah. That's 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 vision. That's leadership. That's all those pieces. And last but not least, Bert, when, when, you, when you look back at your life, you look back at that journey, and you look back at those moments that maybe you weren't so bright and shiny, those tough times, when you really had to dig down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up and pull you forward and go in the right direction. And on the flip side, we're sitting here now you're sitting out on your balcony with your kids, with your wife, this business that you bought and you're growing and you're building something so incredible and you want to show gratitude. What keeps you focused? What is your compass? Bert Miller, what is your North Star?
1: Yeah, never chase the money. You chase the money, you make bad decisions. So 100%. Chase what you do, chase your purpose. You I know, mean, I'm watching you do it now, man. You are so into what you're doing and and, and doing a great job at it. You know Thanks. why you're doing great because you're passionate about it. And and there's a purpose for what you're doing. And I really believe when people chase money, they make bad decisions. When they chase money and they hit the money, they that will ultimately make them make bad decisions. Um, never chase the money, man. Never. Just do it because for the love of the
0: game. I appreciate that immensely. I appreciate you and your time, and and thank you for being there for me uh, and so many. Uh, And thanks for coming on the show, Bert. Absolutely, man. We need some magnets. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to send a whole boatload down there. Um, Bert, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Yeah, uh, Instagram, Bert
1: Miller MRI. Um, LinkedIn, obviously, Bert Miller B E R T Miller. Um, and uh, that's and you of course YouTube. Uh, you have uh, YouTube uh, Beyond the Bottom Line with Burt Miller, which I really uh, I've, I've had some great guests on there. We've had uh, um, we've had um, uh, the CEO of Hostess and Paps. And by the way, we have a good one coming up. Um, you will you guys will probably see it in late July, early August. Chris Voss will be part of the show
0: as well. Yeah, I Yeah, he's, he's outstanding. I saw him live. He was crazy. He was yeah, crazy. He, crazy in a good way. I mean, I was like, whoa. Yeah. This is good stuff he, right here. <laughs> each fantastic and
1: of course Raul with, with so we've had we've really focused on high uh what I would call uh high produce or high performance leaders uh in the world of work and so please go there if you want to and of course Check it, out.
0: Check it out everybody Bert I appreciate you thanks for making the time and to everyone listening thank you for joining us on the podcast you know where to find us on all the social media channels at podcast.com. remember take care of each other look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom
1: is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.